0: Guess what? We've just started our very own Catching Up With Cub community and we want you to be part of it. Head to cub.club forward slash podcast and subscribe today to receive a weekly email with exclusive content from every episode. Have the ability to speak directly with our Catching Up With Cub team to help us build the best show possible and receive invites to special events where you'll meet and hear from our guests along with other incredible business owners. Head to cub.club forward slash podcast now and join the community. Hello, Legends. Welcome to today's show. Catching up with Cub, as always, is brought to you by Cub, the Club of United Business Australia's number one members club connecting our country's top entrepreneurs and business leaders. And today... I catch up with Cub member Renee Francis, the owner of the Bubble Co, a full-service digital marketing agency. Renee started her business in 2016 due to her hatred towards corporate life. Renee started the Bubble Co to break the rigid working rules of the corporate world and now has 14 fully remote staff who are loving life themselves. Renee is also an expert in Web3, crypto, and blockchain, and all the other things that go around in that world, and she gave me one of the best descriptions of that world I've ever heard. She's an incredible entrepreneur. She's very confident, very knowledgeable, and we spoke a lot about how one size just does not fit all, and you have to create the perfect working environment for each of your team members. Hope you enjoy the show. So I read, or I got told that you have had an interesting way to get your first clients when you, how long ago did you start your business?
1: I started the business in 2016.
0: Yeah. So tell me, I, I, I got, to, Laura just told me she has a really interesting way of getting clients at the start. Ask her that. <laughs> I was like, oh, we'll start with that.
1: Yeah, sure. So, so I did start the business in 2016, um, but like most entrepreneurs, it was a side hustle for a few years. So it wasn't until 2019 that I went full-time, like full steam ahead with the business. And in the few months leading up to leaving full-time employment, going full-time with my business, I was strategizing how am I going to get clients? You know, I've got, to, I've got to really pump this up now because this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to take the leap. And I, at the time, because I was still employed, I would get job alerts every day to my email And one day I saw an email come through for a job alert and the, the job alert said, we're looking for a marketing manager, uh, can be fully remote, really flexible. And the way it was written, I thought this, this company and this employer could probably be open to working with an agency or or someone external, right?
0: I can tell they (laughs) want me.
1: (laughs) So I, I called the recruiter that was listed on the job ad and I said, look, I've got this agency. This is what we're all about. Uh, do you think your client would be open to it? And she said, look, I don't know. We've, he, he's is he's looking for a marketing manager to come and sit in house, but he's pretty open. He's pretty flexible. Uh, let me have a chat to him. And she came back and she said, yeah, he's open to it. So uh, yeah, you know, you've got to apply for the job though. To, to, to speak with him. <laughs> and I said, okay. So I'm there updating my resume saying, you know, I'm the, I'm the founder and I'm the director of an agency and updating, you know, my application. And I sent it through and um, I got an interview. And I knew going into the interview that, you know, this, this CEO was just interviewing people all day long, right? And I thought, I, I can't let this be a job interview <laughs> because I, I don't want to work here. I don't want this as a job, right? So I walked in, and um, immediately I knew I had to shift this from a job interview to being a meeting <laughs> for for my business, right? So, um, so I walked in, and I just and I could see he had um, a stack of papers with uh, like job interview questions on them. So he'd just been interviewing one person after the other that day, and you know, and you know, filling out the the questions, right, from the different candidates. So as soon as I saw that, I was like, right, I need to shift this. So I walked in, I said, hi, I'm Renee Francis. I'm from the Bubble Co. We're a full-service digital marketing agency. And the look on his face was like, "What? what uh, what's this about, you know? And then How did he you remembered. get past the gatekeepers? <laughs> exactly. So I think once it clicked to him, oh, yeah, that's right, I, I did have a chat about this, right? So he sat down and I, I put my business card on the table and I – I pulled open my, my deck and I was like, right, this is what we're all about. And within about two minutes, I saw him just slide that piece of paper with the, the list of questions on it side, put his pen down and just start, start listening. And I was like, right, this is a meeting now. It's not a job interview anymore. <laughs> well, it's pretty clever
0: because it's kind of like, well, he's hiring a marketing manager. So I know he's probably spending, I don't know how big the company was, but he could be spending between 80 to 120 grand. So if I can get the interview, get him to think I'm going to do the exact same thing or better for 60 grand as with him as a client, well, I've just saved him 60 grand. It's probably a good strategy. Should we just go hit up everyone that's advertising for marketing managers? <laughs> yeah, that, that's w- not a corporation.
1: No, absolutely. I mean, that was part of the thinking process. It, w- it was you could hire one person for whatever the, you know, annual salary is and have one person sitting in that role and I thought, if I can show him that he could pay the same, if not less, and get a whole team of marketers, um, then it would make so much more sense for his business. And yeah, so shifted that um, basically job ad, job interview into a, a meeting. And um, and that was your first client. That was one of our first one of the first. Clients.
0: And the Bubble Co. I love the name, but we had what's how'd you come up with that? Yeah, I'm always curious how people come up with their business names.
1: Yeah, no, it, it is always interesting. So um, the Bubble Co. It it was it was born out of the idea that um, we're trying to help businesses rise, trying to help businesses rise to the top of Google, social media, digital channels. And I thought, well, what rises bubbles? Bubbles rise. <laughs> That's clever. <laughs> I like that. So I actually wanted the name just to be Bubble at the time. Um, but you know it wasn't available, so the bubble co was born instead.
0: And ha- so it started 2016 as a side gig, turned full time 2019. What made you, what gave you the confidence to go full time? Was it just that you had acquired enough clients, or um, or, or what was it?
1: Um, it was a little bit of that. So a little bit of um, you know had built more confidence in terms of having more clients, more stable clients as well. But if I put it down to kind of two things, the first thing was I was just so fed up with the corporate world. I'd had enough. I, I was I, I was done, so to say. And I was like, right, um, this will be my last, you know role in the corporate world. and I've got something established there, and now's my time to to take the leap. um and and secondly, I think it was also when i when I also landed the first client that was, paying like triple what my monthly salary was through a full-time role I was like okay I think I'm ready I think I've made it
0: (laughs) (laughs) and and have you found it like because that's that's interesting because a lot of people like I hated hated my job so I decided to start a business do you find that you work more now or in your job?
1: Oh, I work way more now. I, I don't even know the last time I had a proper day off. <laughs> but yeah.
0: so, so you work more but you enjoy it more. I enjoy it kind of so much
1: more, difference. so much more. So working in the corporate world for me, the, the challenge wasn't about how hard or long I had to work. It was the fulfilment and the purpose was lacking, right? And also I worked in – Every business that I ever worked in, as if it was my own business, and while that's a good mindset and attitude to have at times, I also got burnt a lot working in that way for other people's businesses.
0: Uh, mostly in the corporate world, or in some SMEs as well.
1: A couple of SMEs as well, yeah. But um, mostly in the in large corporates.
0: And so, really, you're just looking for meaning in your work. Like you want it to work. You wanted meaning. You You wanted kind of.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I've always, I've always loved work. I've always prioritized my work, you know, on top of other things. So, you know, in my early twenties, friends were going on trips around Europe and, uh, you know, doing all those things. No, I wanted to work, and I know I wanted to build. You know, I wanted to uh, build something for myself, and um, you know, buy a property or. Um, invest in things. So I was always the odd one out in that sense.
0: And always, from a young age, always ambitious?
1: Uh, Yeah, definitely. Always. Yeah. Whereabouts are you from? Uh, My background.
0: Well, uh, like what area are you from? Your background? I grew up in Western Sydney. Give me the full story.
1: Yeah, sure. So uh, I grew up in Western Sydney. Um, I come from a a Lebanese family. Beautiful. Yeah. Similar to you? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Half. Half okay. So yeah, full Lebanese, both parents. Um, I was born here though, uh, along with my siblings. Um, and yeah, really hardworking family. Um, my, you know, my dad always tells us the story of he arrived here when you know he was a late teenager with the bag on his back. You know the story. Well, it's just it's just
0: that migrant mentality. Yeah, you know, it's a hardworking. We have to. You you just have to make it work. There's not really any excuses. Yeah, you. Very rarely do you hear migrants complain about the things um, other people complain about, mm. because they're just so grateful to be in the country. That they're like, "I don't give a fuck. I'm, I, I I'll, I'll figure it out. That's not a problem. That you know, that, that that system that you know, might suppress me. I don't care about it. I'm, I'll, I'll make it work. I'll figure it out." And, and I, I just think that migrant mentality is, um, it it, it it should probably be more prevalent throughout society because. I just when people when people focus on the things that are holding them down, they get held down.
1: Mm.
0: When you disregard them, you, you, you float like a bubble. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you yeah, you, you you go up, and 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 I really do feel like um, when you and look, I'm, I can't blanket statement everyone, but in my experiences, when you speak to to migrants and often kids and migrants who experienced their parents doing it and th- th- that mentality was passed on. They're very entrepreneurial cultures. And you can look at countries, for example, like the, the US. It's just a giant cesspool of different nationalities and it was just huge migration all throughout history. They were and it became the center of, of capitalism for the world. Australia's got a lot of migration. Mind you, we don't have the culture that lifts successful people up um, and there, and there are definitely tax and structures in place that we want to bring them back down to earth. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a big, there's a lot of migrants in Australia. And, and so there's, a, I mean, you can even look at like, so we're looking at, um, um, we're opening Parramatta in February of 24, 2024. And I'm so excited about Parramatta because there's a big migrant population. So there's so many businesses there. Definitely, there's so many self-employed I people. Up, Parramatta. Yeah, so yeah. beautiful area. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I just love that. Uh, well, obviously, that is what you are. I guess you, you've seen that that strength and resilience, and disregard for anything that holds you down, and you've decided to to float even higher.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think you you mentioned two really important things. Uh, the first one you said was, you know, migrants, they're just really grateful, firstly, to be in the country. And secondly, it's like, oh, we'll just make it work, like whatever happens. And I think those two things uh, just, you know, will serve entrepreneurs and people wanting to start businesses so well, right? Gratitude.
0: Gratitude and determination. Absolutely. Yeah. I'll get it done. That's Right. And so so tell me about your business now. So Bubble Co, it's a full service uh, um, digital marketing agency.
1: Full service digital marketing agency, um, predominantly Web 2 marketing and clients. But this year we've branched into the Web 3 space as well. And um, I have the most amazing team. So there's 14 of us now, um, you know, after since 2019 to now. Um, and we mainly work with large national and multinational clients, predominantly in the B2B space. So manufacturing, construction, industrial. Um, And then, like I said, moving into the Web3 space, we've uh, just recently partnered with some Web3 startups to help launch their NFT projects, uh, digital assets, digital landmarks, things like that.
0: And how did you get to... So it's normally quite hard to get access to large corporates and bigger companies as clients. How did you break through that?
1: Yeah, good question. Um, I think it comes down to my corporate background um, as well as people in our team. Like they all, uh, you know, a lot of them come from a corporate background as well. So um, the people in in my network um, are amazing and helped with referrals and things like that. People that I used to work with um, called up uh, needing help. Um, And then it's really helped just establish us in that space, um, show our credibility and um, yeah, the. The referrals and the roll-on effect from that basically. But see,
0: the big lesson is that it's an important lesson because the big lesson there is, you know, if you're going to start a business, start something and, and leverage, use who you are and your experiences as a person to, to, to that date. You know, if, if you've got a great – if you've been in corporates the whole life, a lot of your best friends, are cor- a lot of uh, people you met through your career to date, work in corporates, they've moved jobs, they're at different places – leverage them, you know, leverage that. If you've got a family in business, leverage that. If you've got, um, uh, if you were from in the construction industry, start a company in the construction industry because you already understand it. you already, you already got that, that, that edge and, and you need an edge.
1: Oh, totally. And you know, the other really important thing about that is, you know, while I spent 10 years in the corporate world and by the end of it, couldn't wait to get out, it served me so well now running a business like what I'm running now, because I understand the intricacies, the challenges, um, the ways that they work in corporate, which has just helped immensely with relating to clients, helping them, delivering, serving them, um, and that's something that's, uh, you know, I wouldn't get by reading a book or reading an article on the internet. It's by being in there for, for a number of years and learning it firsthand.
0: Yeah, you understand. Just everything happens for a reason. I mean, I always say that so often in this podcast, people are probably over overhearing it, but it just does. Like, you might, like, people might be like, shit, I hate my job, sucks, you know, whatever. But, you know, if you, uh, I was going to say, if you're man enough to do, but I can't really say that anymore. <laughs> if you're woman and man if you're enough, person if you're enough. person enough. <laughs> I can't even. If, if you enough. get confident enough, you're strong enough, um, and um to 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 take a leap, you know, you might find that the things you hated and the things you did, even though you hated them, end up serving you, and 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 you have this this success because of them, and and therefore everything you do in life is is positive.
1: Absolutely, I I totally agree. Everything. Everything, you know, something I've learned in the last few years is everything happens for a reason and I really believe in that. Uh, No matter how cheesy it might sound, I I truly believe in that because the people that you meet or the experiences that you have, they all end up like kind of coming full circle back again one day. And, um, yeah, that's been a big thing that I've learned. Um, And just to build on what you were saying is, you know, I mentioned earlier that I I started the business as a side hustle, you know, from 2016. And a lot of people, including myself at the time, think uh, I need to wait until I'm really ready to to launch my business or to take that leap. Or I need to really wait until this happens and then I can launch my business. Um, And, you know, another thing I've learned is that there's no right time if you want to do it, you've just got to do it. You've just got to take the leap. And actually when you're not really ready, whether it's you don't think that you have everything in place yet, or you think that you don't have the financial backing yet, whatever the reason is, it's actually probably a better time to start because when everything's not perfect is when you've just got to make it work, right? So when I cut that safety net of the full-time income and the full-time job, I was like, right, I've got to make this work now. Like I have to do whatever it takes now to get clients and to make this work because if I don't make it work, well, I don't have an income and (laughs) I, I don't have a business. Um, so actually sometimes starting before you're ready, um, can be a really good idea because it gives um, it gives that drive and that ambition just to do whatever it takes to make it happen.
0: You don't have the option to fail. Correct. It needs to work. That's right. Which 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 is essential. And and I mean, taking that leap is the hardest part of business. And it, it, if you took it when it was perfect, you wouldn't learn anything. That's right. You're supposed to learn. How to make things better, and if it's already perfect, you're not going to learn that it's actually kind of like working at a corporate their operations and things, and how they run their company, and their understanding of the finance and the cash flow, and the the, the, the team, and how the managers are supposed to talk and act. And all, yeah, their companies are near perfect. That's how they get so big, yep. it's because they're they so good at running this company that it, it, it was able to scale. Because you've got 14 staff now, 14 staff isn't easy, yep. 14 staff is hard. Imagine having 2,000. It would be, you'd Imagine how good you'd have to be at the, how, how strong your HR and your operations and, and just your management and your reporting, how perfect it would need to be. So when you join a corporation, which you could argue, I mean people say they're not perfect whatever, but in terms of success of a company, they started small and they're giant now. So they, they're as good as perfect as you're getting. You're not getting much per- more perfect. Um, and you, you don't learn about business because you don't need to because it's perfect. You need to start small to learn how to build the big. And and those are unperf- imperfect situations.
1: That's right. And you learn so much through the, the challenges and the mistakes and the imperfect situations, as you said. And, you know, where I said, you know, you start the business, you take that leap and you do whatever it takes because otherwise you don't have a paycheck coming in. Yeah. So then when – fast forward to having 14 people in my team or well, now I'm going to do whatever it takes because I got 14 people relying on this business mm-hmm. for income, you know, for their families. So, you know, if you if you think or if someone, you know, is wanting to start a business and they think, oh, you know, I don't know if I can do it for myself, well, you, you know, you might do it when 14 people are relying on you.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's additional pressure. You right. might think, oh, it's easier because I've got 14 people, but no. It's 14, um, 14 times fourteen times a multiple of three because they pro- <laughs> might be married with you know with a kid with two kids. Yes, you know it, it, it's times a lot more pressure, and and business you got to learn to to handle pressure, like because yeah. it is absolutely. And then the problems, you know, people's people get sick, people do this, people get divorced, pe- whatever. The kids stay home and the, yeah, like like. Uh, their problems are your problems. And I really th- think that, you know, a- as a business owner is not the right word for the role. It really is like, I don't even think leader is the right word, but but let's just call it leader for now. You have to help people lead their lives as well. So like, you know, if they've got a problem, can the business assist with that problem? Mm-hmm. Are they late on their rent because they got drunk and went to the casino? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? That hasn't happened to any cub kind of people. I'm just yeah, but a little thing. Oh, my fridge broke. I, you know, I can't afford a, a new fridge. Okay, well, I'll get your fridge because I need you to eat so you can work. <laughs> you know, like yeah, sometimes you gotta you gotta be there for their personal life, not just there.
1: Oh, totally. And I think that it makes such a difference when you know you're, you're you know when my team sees that I'm making the effort for them professionally and personally as well, because suddenly I'm running a business where I can affect people's lives. I can help them reach their personal and professional goals, and that's a big responsibility and it's a challenge. But it's something that I embrace, and um, I, I, I generally have always loved helping people. So that um, that feeds into that passion for me. Um, but absolutely, it's a challenge, and there's you know many mistakes and lessons that come with with that as well.
0: And just speaking of leadership, how would you describe yourself as a leader? Like, what, what's your leadership philosophy?
1: Constantly learning, constantly trying to um, better myself so that I can help better others around me. Um, I have a very collaborative leadership approach. So I'm in it. I'm in the the trenches with my team. Um, I don't um, I don't personally like to you know sit back and not be a part of it. Um, but I, I'm very aware that I'm, um, on a massive learning curve, um, in my, uh, sort of leadership journey.
0: How do you address when people do something wrong?
1: When people do something wrong? Yeah.
0: So a team member, they're just something, something ridiculously stupid.
1: How would you address that? Um, no, my team don't do things wrong. (laughs) No, so, um... Look, it's all about communication. Uh, I am, I'm big on addressing the things upfront and and quickly. So I don't like to wait three months for a review to say, "Oh, do you remember that thing that happened three months ago? Yeah, that wasn't that wasn't cool." So it's just a matter of we either jump on the phone or jump on video or we have a chat because we're a fully remote team. Oh my god! So additional challenges. <laughs> Um, but it's about, yeah, addressing up front. Hey, how did, how did that happen? How can we prevent it moving forward? You know, what, you know, support do you need? Um, and then we, yeah, we have a chat and we move forward from it.
0: It's a tricky one though, because, you you know, there's two sides to that. One is you can, when you you can address things quickly, in which case it's probably always best to do it over email as well. So it's in writing. Um, but that might, you know, depending on how into the details you are as as an owner or a leader, it might be too often and it might be a bit disheartening for someone um, to, to do it regularly, which then says, okay, well, maybe I should be having a quarterly catch-up with them. But then it's quarterly enough because then in the quarter you're going to have a list of things that you're going to slam with them. So it's kind of like you've got to find a balance between addressing issues quickly while not being disheartening, but having a formal way to address them in writing. Because if you don't do that and they continue for too long, the law is against you as the business and they have all the power and they could drag that on for another three to six months at your cost, uh, even though they were doing better. So I just think that the, the lesson is particularly for SMEs, which corporates don't make because they'll give it to you and write and say, hey, this is exactly what's happened. they put it on the system. It's there. They can come back and address that because yep. they know that they know how to play the system. But SMEs also need to realize because we're closer to the team, we're friends. My team basically, yeah, some of my best friends. Um, so, so you forget that there are these, these systems that are in place that you didn't design them. The government did. So it's not my fault we have to do this. You yes. can speak to the politicians because they created the laws that, ins- that mean I have to do this. Yes. Right. But, but uh, you know, we do have to f- – I think SMEs aren't doing things formally enough in terms of uh, addressing issues with staff is, is I guess what I'm trying to no, say. it's
1: probably a good point. It's interesting you bring this up because I'm, I'm currently reading the book Extreme Ownership. Not sure if you've heard of it. And – it, What's
0: the cover look like? I don't know the names of the books, but I know the- The cover? Red? Red. Yeah, okay, I know it. <laughs> red with right, right Yeah, yeah, I know It's it.
1: about like this, the, you know, this, the seal officers. Yeah, yeah. Um, And yeah, I know basically he- uh, How about, good, just to yeah. pause,
0: how good I actually- Laura looked at me like, oh, yeah. I knew the, co- the colour of the cut because that's yeah. what I remember.
1: Yeah, you're fantastic, Daniel. Yeah. You're great. <laughs> Thank you. The greatest <laughs>
0: <laughs> if you ever stop your company, come join the team, and come, I can use more of that around you. I always get, Daniel, shut up, leave me alone. <laughs>
1: that's a skill just to, you know, name the co- color of a, the cover of a book and you know it. So that's pretty cool. Um, but sure. look, I'm only about a quarter of the way through it, but he talks so much about how the, you know, any, you know, performance issues, failures, mistakes of the team, Really, it's it's the lead, the leader needs to own that. It all comes back to the leader at the end of the day.
0: Completely agree. Everything is your fault. Yep. If that person made a fault, it's because you didn't train them well enough, or your management system wasn't well enough. If they make too many results because you didn't manage them well enough, or you hired someone who's not smart enough to be in that role, or in a more political way, he's not the right person for that job. <laughs> you know, but but really, it's your fault regardless because at the end of the day, it's costing you, and and it's not costing you personally. It's costing your team. Because if the company has less money, the business grows less, which creates less opportunity for your team members and less opportunity to pay people more and to and, and to do new things and to give them more freedoms or to have a better Christmas party. You know, people relate the business to the to the owner, but the, the business owner is not just sitting there taking all the money home. It's not how it works. Yep. yep, and, and, Exactly. And so, so you're hurting, but I fully agree with that.
1: Yeah, and I was just having a conversation about this with one of the girls in my team yesterday, and you know, there was. something we were launching for a client and one part of it didn't go quite right and she said anyway I accept full accountability I I, I get it I should have and I said to her you know what I I love firstly that you take accountability that's fantastic and then when we broke it all down I said it's awesome that you take responsibility and accountability for that part and you know what to do to avoid it next time but at the end of the day uh, there was this is the reason why it's also my you know My responsibility, and this is the reason why I'm accountable for this happening as well. And it's—I think it's really cool to have those conversations with team members as well, so that they're aware that, uh, well, they know that I'm fully aware of my part in it all as well. You
0: sound like a wonderful leader. Oh, thank you. I'd be like,
1: what? (laughs) How is that even an option? How?
0: What? (laughs) And then I have to calm down. My right. Speak to Alice. <laughs> 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 no, I'm not. Um, and and sorry, I have to get back to the whole 14 staff remote thing. Yes. Um, how's that? How? Just yeah. how? Well, why?
1: Um. So when I started the Bubble Co, uh, my vision was always fully remote and flexible. A but few, why? A few reasons, yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> Tell me <laughs> tell me why, how does this work? Um, so I, yeah, I had a massive aversion to the corporate structures and going through that for 10 years. I found that I was way more productive working at home, uh, without the distractions or working remotely without the distractions of an office. Um, I've always been generally like a high performing person, like in, in my career and the work that. We do is all digital work, so it can be done from anywhere. So, you know, I was seeking a bit of flexibility from that the, the corporate structure and you know how rigid it is. Or, or, well, I should say the places I was working at. It's not. It's not like they're all the same. They're all the same. Hundred um, percent. There's there's a uh, like a
0: the tech companies change, but they're all going bankrupt and
1: firing everyone now.
0: So. <laughs> well, just, just it obviously right didn't now, work.
1: Yeah. So. Um, and, you know, I knew a lot of other people felt the same way because I would speak to these people and I would meet them, um, in, in my career. Right. And, you know, I, I did look at big tech companies and, you know, overseas, Silicon Valley, those types of things. And, you know, the real high perform, a lot of the high performing people that I would read about or, or learn about seeked flexibility right? And seek flexible and remote working structures. They are more productive in an environment that suits them. Now, when I worked in the corporate world, I would see people stumble into the office at, you know, 9am, 9 9.05am, let's say. And they were, you know, struggling to even function. Come 1pm in the afternoon, that same person was like, adding massive value, high performer, really great. And I would always think, geez, why don't you start work at 1 p.m. or at 12 p.m. or at 2 p.m.? Because that's when you function the best. And so this one-size-fits-all approach never made sense to me. Some people work really well in the morning. Some people work better in the afternoon, at night. Um, People's lifestyles are different now. You know, we've got so many working parents, parents, Mm. um, and – you know, they, I know so many that want to work, but applying for jobs in the corporate world is, oh no, we can't do minimum Then four days per week. And these are the hours and this is the structure. So for me, it was, you know what, there are so many cool, intelligent, high performing people out there that just want to work flexibly. And if I can build something and offer that, then I'm going to have a really cool team. Yeah, I think that's awesome.
0: You you saw what you didn't like, and you saw what you did like, and you did, and you want know the beautiful thing about having your own businesses. You can do whatever whatever you want, and you said I want to do what I like, and, and I'll attract people who like that also.
1: Correct. And I think um, that's really cool, and it's working so far. So it's all. good. Oh,
0: it, it it definitely works. Yeah. What I I love about um, it definitely works. I just think it also has, and I won't get into it because I talk about it so much in this podcast, but there's, there's other complications, but what I love about the flexible working is the innovation it's brought to the employment market. Um, And there's a lot of people who who benefit from that, which, which I love. And it's also helped a lot of businesses, particularly small businesses. For example, I don't need an office anymore. Mm. I just made another 120 grand this year because of that, you know, and, and I might need that 120 grand to become a medium sized business. Next year, exactly. So, so I, 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 there's a lot of things I love about it. But what I loved most was you knew very clearly was like, okay, I hate the corporate world, and therefore I want to be the anti-corporate. And the anti-corporate does not force you to do things. The anti-corporate does not um, um, have one size fit all. We've got you fit you, Um, and because we're still uh, small enough of a company. it's a manageable team where you you can be more selective with who you bring in you i'm sure you probably hire them yourself you you can really confirm they're the right person for the for the for the culture and and i i think that's wonderful i i really do and um, so I do think there's a time and place for <laughs> a bit flexible here. <laughs>
1: um, I, I have heard you talk about this on the podcast. I, knew, I, I always know you're do. not a massive I'm a, a bit hesitant to talk
0: about it now. Yeah. No, I'm not, not a massive fan. I yeah. love whatever's better for the business owner. Sure. Okay. I just know that for a lot of businesses, it is not better. And okay. I think for the corporates, it is certainly not better. Hence, they're literally all just firing massive loads of people. Or yeah. Most tech, technology companies. I also think it's horrible and it's irresponsible when businesses are irresponsible with their finance. It is irresponsible to pay people too much. It is not good for your business and it is not good for other businesses because then they have to pay people too much and you're systematically cutting all our profits and stealing talent until you collapse, which only happens after all the main people made their billion dollars. I've sold my shares. I don't give a fuck what happens to the company now. I'm rich. Go screw up everything else. I'm out of here anyway. It doesn't make a difference for me. And then all the other businesses have to suffer for it. And then all the employees who moved to that company because they wanted to get paid so much and work from home and do whatever, they're all fired anyway. So they're like, shit. Well, you know, it's fun while it lasted, but I better go get normal job. I better go get a job that actually works in a company structure that actually works. Anyway, that was a bit of a drain. But you get where I'm going with Yo,
1: it. Yeah, I do. And just touching on what you just said, um, with the paying high salaries at the moment, it's it's pretty insane. I've seen role entry-level roles you know when I when I graduated from uni an entry-level role was something like a marketing coordinator and uh at that time be lucky to be paid 50 or 60 yeah 45 grand yeah Yeah. 50 or 60 grand per year I'm being generous right fresh
0: out of uni now give me 90 (laughs) you don't even know how to speak what's your name spell your last name (laughs) Yeah.
1: And, and that 50 or 60 grand was often including super and things like that, right? And now those roles are going for, like you said, 90 to 110,000. And it, I just feel it's creating a very unrealistic view of the world for, you know, these graduates coming through now. It
0: happens. But they're going to get a realistic punch in the face when they all get fired. It's what's going to happen because the economies aren't just on the up all the time. Yeah. Our economy is on the up because the government flooded the market with so much money when COVID happened that, yeah, businesses made lots of money because where does money end up? In, to businesses. Because that's where people are spending their money. So yes. the businesses were making more money. Said, well, okay, we could pay people more because we're going to – It just then people's wages go up because businesses have more money. Then the economy does bad, which will probably happen next year. Exactly. And then, well, what's the business going to do? Mm-hmm. I probably should fire everyone that I'm paying too much and keep the ones that are good value. That's that's what they do. Correct. Yeah, and, and so all the new ones that came, that all moved for their jobs to go to the other jobs. They're all going to lose their jobs, and actually, the statistics on this, Bloomberg and Forbes both released, um, 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 what's it called? Research papers that showed those. First of all, those losing their jobs quickest are the people that moved in that whole Great Recession bullshit that they're talking about. So anyone that moved for a higher pay, they got fired first. Yes, which makes sense, and also. And um, the people most fearful of losing their jobs are all these people that have moved in the most, like anyone that moved company in the past three years during COVID. They're the most fearful. It, mostly also because I don't even like you because I've never seen you because you work from home. Sorry to your, <laughs> like separate to your business. But in the big business, yeah. it's different. You're talking to yourself. Yeah, all except,
1: for, except It's a lot easier problem.
0: to fire someone. It's like firing someone that's mm-hmm. offshore, yep. you know. I, we don't have that, so I don't know. But I assume it would be a lot easier. I never see them. I don't know. I haven't got that threat. It's not like, that Laura, I couldn't fire. She's unfireable. <laughs> it's impossible. It couldn't happen, you because know, I couldn't personally do it and she's too important anyway. But And, but, when, and we're not just
1: saying that because she's, she's here. I couldn't fire any of them. <laughs> eh, look, unless they
0: sucked for an extended period of time, in which case I'd, I'm doing the others a disfavor by having them. But, 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 you know, people don't just start sucking for no reason and they start being hor- bad. If they've been there for years, they're obviously amazing people. They're obviously amazing valuable assets to a company. Yep. But, but, but anyway, that's, all the, that's the last time I will <laughs> rant about And it's not that I hate work from home. I love work from home. Yep. I hate business being irresponsible with – just being irresponsible in general. Of course. Because there's always big business. Yep. who have already The founder's already made their money. Everyone's already made their money. And now they're just destroying it for everybody else and they're destroying the workforce.
1: Yeah, and I agree with that part because uh, any irresponsibility comes back to what we were talking about before where, you know, as a founder, as a director, as a business owner, you're responsible for other people's livelihoods as well. So it's –
0: You have to be financially (laughs) responsible. Totally. You can't just be paying people ridiculous amounts of money and – having these fancy offices and you have to choose. Yeah, some people have to get paid more as the company grows. Then
1: the next one can there like, right. there's be sacrifice. Yes. Or
0: what happened to old school business where like, well, and that's back now old school business where you actually have to make money. Like it's, it's business is such an easy game. I never knew how to do a PNL or do any of this crap when I started Cub, but I knew, okay, how does business work? I got to bring in more money than I spend. Okay. That's pretty easy. So my first financial report, and I still use it today basically now a cash flow report, but, but I still use it today, but my very first financial report, cause I didn't know anything about any finance accounting, uh, whatever it was, it was like, okay, I want to know on a daily basis how much money comes in and how much money leaves. And then I just want to know that tallied up for the month. And I still get that every day. And th- that started seven years ago yep. because I was like, okay, I'm going to see, si- how do you simplify business as much as possible? Bring in more money than you let out. Yeah.
1: Pretty and simple.
0: Yeah. It's so simple. You don't have to worry about anything else. Just do that. If you do that, it, 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 you make money and you grow and you can hire people and they can pay taxes and the c- country gets stronger and you make give people purpose in life, like what you were saying. You give people flexibility if that's what you want to do and what they need. Yep. You can do so much good just by running business the correct way.
1: Well, it comes down to flexibility. Like you said, one big blanket rule can't apply to from an SME right through to a large global giant.
0: I love how you tied that back, actually, because that is really the lesson. Yes, you know, it can't just be this is it. Everyone gets that. It has it to be. Work. No, it's not. Yeah. And, and people need to understand that pe- different people are in different situations, and and different people need different things. And I think that's what you do in your business, where you say, I think that is the re- what well, we got to the bottom of. Just there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, it's 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 understanding the person. Everyone is different. That's
1: People exactly are in different right.
0: situations, different family things, different different stresses.
1: Yeah, and I think like everything that we're just talking about led me back to the whole flexibility thing and one size doesn't fit all, blanket rules. And that's what frustrated me about corporate and about like the societal norms and all those sorts of things. It's like, well, hold on, that that's lovely for, for that group of people or for, for that type of business, but not for everybody. So, yeah, it just all comes down to flexibility and finding what works for your business and for people.
0: And you said you've now transitioned into Web3. Yes, that's where a lot of these companies are now transitioning in. I will not rant about Web three today. <laughs> I might but, though. Yeah, so. but good. I'd love for you to because because Web three is just kind of like one level up from Web two, which is from what I understand what we have now. Which and was
1: one level up from Web one. So
0: I was too young for Web one. I mean, that was when it. That was when you know your modem used
1: to go. Correct. <laughs> I was too, but you know I read about those things.
0: Yeah, <laughs> but so so Web three, um, it's basically how would you describe Web3?
1: Okay. So um, I, uh, how I describe Web3 is I sort of break it down into a few components. So yes, it is the next iteration of the internet. So to explain Web3, um, I'll go back to Web1, which was a very static internet. That's when we could send emails and that was about the most exciting thing we could do. It wasn't very interactive and very centralised. Web2 is what we know the web to be now, so it's a little bit more interactive. That's when things like social media platforms were introduced. Uh, That's when we got, you know, financial wallets like PayPal, for example. Um, Still very centralised, but at least, you know, there's more interactivity going on. Now, Web3 is this new iteration that is essentially here, but it's still a growing movement. It's still developing Where we move from these big global tech giants like Facebook, Meta, Google, you know, LinkedIn, Microsoft, Apple, kind of owning everything, owning data, um, owning all the platforms. And we move to a more decentralized, a decentralized approach where, um, you know, people sort of have a lot more ownership over their data and over what's going on.
0: So So like instead of you buying an app from the app store, you can buy it from my app from me personally? Or?
1: Sure, that could be one thing, but I, I don't. That's probably not like the whole premise of Web three. So Web three is based on the was, blockchain. So
0: I was laughing because I was like, basically, you didn't get anything I said. <laughs>
1: uh, <laughs> so um, yeah, so the 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 foundation of Web three is built on blockchain technology. Um, so you know, do you want me to describe blockchain? Yes. Okay. Hesitant. <laughs> Uh, so yeah. I've
0: been described it a few, like, obviously we've spoken about it a lot in the yep. podcast, but like just then I was thinking, could I say what it was? And I, I actually couldn't.
1: Okay. So blockchain really simply is just a database. So like the internet right now is a database. It stores lots of information. Uh, blockchain is a different type of database. So basically it's where the data is stored in blocks and those blocks are chained together, hence blockchain. And each block of data is tied to the block of data before it. And it's dependent on the block before it. So let's say we had a blockchain with hundred blocks in it, and we're up to block one hundred and one. I can't just go back and change something in block number sixty-one. the The data, um, the data in the blockchain is irreversible. It's immutable. Um, and what's really cool is that it's decentralized.
0: And what does that mean, though? So what? So why is it important that you can't change it?
1: Um, Because it's like an irreversible ledger and store of data, right? So... So you can't fudge it. You
0: you can't can't fudge it, right? Okay, that's important.
1: So when we um, speak about, like, the blockchain, it was basically born out of, um, like, the invention of Bitcoin, right, back in 2008. So the global financial crisis happened Someone or some people they go under you know the name Satoshi Nakamoto and they invented Bitcoin on the blockchain right because they looked at what was happening and they said there's this isn't right that the, the few elites and powerful are controlling the many you know that's what happened in the global financial crisis. So they were like let's make a, a digital currency that is not owned by a central authority and that is instead owned and controlled by the people and for the people. So right now there are thousands, tens of thousands more um, computers or nodes, people around the world that are basically maintaining this blockchain for Bitcoin, right? So a lot of people say, oh, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, it's just used for like fraudulent activities and it's all, you know, bad. And There's a lot of that. There's a lot, but... Actually, right now, the, the currency that is most used for fraudulent, fraudulent activity in the whole world is the US dollar. Right? But there's more of it. Well.
0: That makes sense. <laughs> most, most stuff is traded in the US dollar.
1: Okay. But what doesn't make sense and to only me? And
0: what, what percent of people would have Bitcoin? I don't even have Bitcoin and I've got most things.
1: Okay. So the part that doesn't make sense about like all this fraudulent activity is Bitcoin and the blockchain is a public ledger. So all the transactions are publicly available, Visible. right? So using it for fraudulent activity doesn't actually make a whole heap of sense, right? Um, and f- so, so that's sort of like one component um, of of Web three cryptocurrency, but it's all built on this foundation of blockchain. So when blockchain, when people uh, had a look at the blockchain technology a lot of different uh, people, companies, entities went, wow, okay, so blockchain is there for Bitcoin, but this blockchain technology is actually really innovative and really useful and we could use this for a whole heap of other things like, you know, storage of data, smart contracts, copyright, like there's a whole host of, you know, provenance, supply chain. So there's a whole host of um, really cool ways of using blockchain technology not just for cryptocurrency. Um, So then the, the sort of second overarching component of Web3 comes down to data ownership. So like I mentioned Facebook, Google you know they're data collection companies right and they collect so much data so that us as marketers can tap into that data and advertise to specific target audiences, retarget to certain people, Um, which to an extent, I, I don't have a huge problem with data collection to an extent, but where Web3 fixes the Web2 data problem is that rather than me as a marketer paying Facebook or Google for for your data, Daniel, so that I can target an ad towards you. In Web3, you actually get paid for your data and you actually get to choose and determine who sees your data, how much data you share, and you get paid in in tokens or cryptocurrency, right? And that makes so much more sense to me because, you know, as we've been talking about, everything for me is about flexibility and decentralised Mm -hmm you know, structures and, and nature. So when I came across blockchain technology and Web3, I was like, oh, my goodness, this makes so much more sense. Yeah, it's very
0: aligned with
1: you. It was very aligned. Yeah. So, you know, there's a browser at the moment. Um, it's called the Brave browser. Um, and it's like a very seamless transition from Google Chrome or something like that. And just by using that browser, little ads, you know, will pop up from time to time. Um but you will actually get paid in a cryptocurrency called basic attention token or BAT. And that's how web three is solving or an example of how web three is solving the data issue in web two. Okay. There is um, a whole range of other things that, you know, encompass web three. I think think that
0: was a really good, that's probably the best and kind of summary description we've, Laura's nodding too that we've, that we've had on the, oh, good. I'm on the glad. show, I reckon. Yeah, that was really cute.
1: Yeah, so there's like so many benefits of Web3 that, you know, I haven't even realised yet. You know, like there's fractionalized ownership of um, assets, property, real estate, you know, there's uh, people looking into pro- – or, or working on projects um, that will rival Netflix, for example, where, again, users get rewarded for – the content they consume and share, um, and then you know another big thing that um, is part of Web three is NFTs or non fungible tokens. And NFTs are They're the
0: monkey pictures. Everyone lost their money on
1: the monkey pictures. Yeah, I, <laughs> don't go spreading that around. <laughs> no,
0: I'm just, it did <laughs> happen though, didn't
1: it? <laughs> it did, but some people made a lot of money as well, right? They did. Um, they look, definitely it's. Did. NFTs, yes, the Board Ape Yacht Club is what you're referring to, and it's projects like that that gave NFTs a lot, a lot of awareness. But it also brought a lot of skepticism as well, because people questioning why is a picture of a monkey selling for a million dollars, and or why have you lost a million dollars on a on a monkey picture? But NFTs, um, you know, can be used by marketers and businesses in really cool ways, to build community um, as loyalty programs um, as well as a whole host of other ways, right? So right now in our Web2 world, you know, companies build social media followings, Instagram followings, Facebook groups, you know, closed Facebook groups, but you know. And really your following isn't that engaged a lot of the time. Um, A brand's Facebook group. Again, you have a small percentage of people that are engaging and contributing to that group uh, because they're all free in a sense to to join and be a part of. But a a brand that launches a very specific NFT collection means there's a monetary contribution you have to make to be part of that group, which means, one, the level or the calibre of the group just improves immediately because – People want to be there and have contributed financially to be there. Uh, they're often viewed uh, um, as an investment because if the project is run right, they will increase in value over time. So, again, the community involved is, like, keen to see it grow and, you know, improve because um, they want to be part of something that's successful, right? So that's what's that's really, interesting. really cool about um Yeah, if an NFT project is launched right, that's some of the really cool benefits Maybe of we it. We should
0: start selling Cub NFTs.
1: Yeah, you could. We can help you with that.
0: Yeah, we already charged 10 grand for the membership, though. So <laughs> it just, it'd have to be extra. <laughs> but but uh, we do have to wrap up because we're at sure. time. But it was absolutely lovely meeting you today. And,
1: and, yeah, you too. And,
0: um, I had this conversation. You're you're fantastic fantastic you so thinker, I, I believe. Um, but, uh, we do have to wrap up. So, um, to our lovely listeners, if you want to find out more about Renee Francis uh, or Bubble Co, you can go to cub.club forward slash podcast, and you can find more information there. If you want to catch up with Cub on social, it's at Club United Business, uh, on Instagram. It's equally as awesome. Renee, thank you so much again for coming on the show.
1: Thanks, Daniel. Thanks for having me.
0: Hope you enjoyed the show.